Although we associate repentance with seeking forgiveness, the Greek word for repent is more closely translated as change your mind or change directions. Every year on Ash Wednesday, the church invites us to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I have heard these words my entire life, but I credit a different kind of church with teaching me what true self-examination and repentance look like. When I was 14 years old, my father began a decade-long battle with drug addiction. Sitting in a circle of addicts, alcoholics, and their family members in Rayville, Louisiana, I first heard the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not in recovery myself, but these steps and traditions have taught me how to take an honest look at myself and amend my life when I need to. Step four of Alcoholics Anonymous reads, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Everyone in this room knows someone who has struggled with addiction of some sort. Addiction raises the question, can people change? I think the answer is yes. But this change requires a path, a recipe, a spiritual practice of steps that rewire our brains and reorient our lives. Alcoholics Anonymous began in 1935 as the result of a meeting between Bill W., a stockbroker, and Dr. Bob S., a surgeon, both of whom were alcoholics. Prior to this meeting, Bill and Dr. Bob were in communication with the Oxford Group, a fellowship that emphasized universal spiritual values and daily life. The Oxford Group was led by Samuel Shoemaker, the rector of Calvary Episcopal Church in New York City. It means something to me that our Episcopal tradition played a role in the genesis of AA, a program that has since helped millions of people take an honest look at themselves, change directions, and find new life. I believe there's great synchronicity between our Christian faith tradition, the Episcopal Church's expression of this tradition, and the 12 steps. The central tenet of Christianity, of course, is resurrection, new life. Woven into the fabric of the Episcopal Church are the ideas that all people are welcome, no matter who you are, and that God is never far from us, no matter what we find ourselves navigating. Even in this morning's service, we find the wisdom of the 12 steps aligning with the wisdom of our season of Lent. During Lent, we remember Jesus' time in the wilderness, and we are invited to explore our own wilderness as we seek to amend our lives. This journey requires us to connect with God 
to examine ourselves and to learn how and when to change directions. It is a step-by-step journey that we make one step at a time. Step 11 reads, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God. There's an inherent humility in seeking connection with God and recognizing that you are not God, that there is something bigger than you. Connection in all relationships is dependent upon listening. In this morning's Old Testament reading from Exodus, Moses is tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro when an angel calls out to him from a burning bush. Moses ignores the angel, and then God steps in to grab his attention. From the same burning bush, God calls out to Moses. And the key to the story is that Moses finally stops what he's doing and listens. God tells Moses that God knows the people of Israel are suffering and that God intends to use Moses to liberate his people from Egypt. When Moses questions how well thought out God's plan is, God reassures Moses that God will be with him the entire time. This early story in our tradition illustrates that God is not distant from us. However, we must stop whatever we're doing long enough to pay attention. Sometimes God might even need to rattle our cages a little bit to make us listen. God wants us to know that God sees what we're going through. God longs for us to be free from whatever it is that's enslaving us. And God wants us to know that we have a role in helping set other people free too. That's step 12, by the way. Having had an awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others. God also reassures us that God will join us on our journey. Paul touches on this in his first letter to the Corinthians when he writes, God is faithful. God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. It's through connecting with God that Moses' life is set on a new trajectory. Step 10, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. This morning's gospel begins with Jesus asking a rhetorical question. Do you think these Galileans suffered because they were worse sinners than others? The answer, of course, is no. We're all sinners. We all come up short. When we take our own personal inventory, we are less inclined to take the personal inventory of others. Jesus then references 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell, asking if they died as judgment for their sins. The answer again is no. This is a theme that Jesus revisits other times, such as in Matthew when he says that the sun rises on the evil and the good, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. 
Although we prefer a God up in the sky pulling all of the levers, Jesus' image of God is not a God who controls everything. Good things happen. Bad things happen. It's all life. In step one, we acknowledge our powerlessness. What God offers is not magic, but God's faithful presence. In step three, we make a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God. Our gospel concludes with a parable about a fig tree that's bearing no fruit. The owner of the tree tells the gardener to cut it down because it's barren, but the gardener asks for it to be spared for one more year while he tries to fertilize it and care for it. Jesus' best parables don't have easy explanations. This one's hard for me to wrap my head around. And although it's nice that the gardener wants to give the fig tree another chance, I'm not sure that's the entire point. The Catholic priest Richard Rohr has helped me explore a deeper meaning. Father Rohr talks a lot about the difference between our true selves, the selves God created us to be, and our false selves. The true self of this fig tree would have been to bear much fruit. And so in its barren state, the fig tree is not living as the truest version of itself. Father Rohr ponders whether Jesus' message in this story might be that the fig tree should not waste its time being anything other than what it was created to be. Step six reads, we were entirely ready to have God remove all of our defects of character. Step seven, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. In their own ways, our Christian faith tradition, our Episcopal Church's expression of this tradition, the 12 steps of AA, each attempt to meet the question, can we change? I believe the answer is yes, but this change requires us to connect with God, to examine our lives, and to learn how and when to change directions. It is a step-by-step journey that we make one step at a time, and it's not easy by any means. But one of its gifts is that it moves us into alignment with another tenet of recovery, the serenity prayer. And we begin to discover the serenity to accept those things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of God, amen.